All right. Hey, football is back. Are we excited about that? Yeah? Good. Uh, sing praises to his name, right? Uh, hey, there was a Super Bowl one time, and there was this commercial, and they had this, I don't know if you guys remember this, it was this little puppy, and this puppy somehow got lost, I can't remember, and, um, and they started a, a, the song, it was, but they did it slower, it was like, I would walk 500 miles, and this puppy like, makes its way back home, and all of a sudden this puppy is returned to the owner, and it's very emotional, and, and you're like, this is the best commercial ever. And at the end, it's like Budweiser. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you're like, that had nothing to do with that. Uh, I was on Facebook this last week, and I saw this ad that came up, and it said, nice champagne will cost you $300. A nice bourbon, $88. Our coffee only costs $12. It's like, wait, no, that doesn't, that doesn't match up. You, you use something that doesn't even pertain. You tried to throw something else out there in order for me to justify buying this coffee for $12. Uh, it it kind of reminds me of a story in the Bible where, where Jesus is, is talking to some people, and this religious man comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, how do I in, uh, inherit eternal life? And um, he says, well, what have you read? He says, well, to love God, uh, basically with everything, and to love my neighbor as myself. He's like, uh, yeah, do this and you will live. And the guy's like, ugh. Well, he, it says he wanted to justify his actions. So then he says, well, Jesus, who, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes into this parable, and he tells the story uh, that a lot of you guys know of the Good Samaritan. And uh, a little backstory, Samaritans and Israelites hated each other. And he tells the story of this Israelite, basically, who was mugged and left for dead. And a priest and a temple assistant both passed him by because they don't have the time. They're, they give different excuses as to why they can't help this Israelite who um, is, is hurting. And then it says this in Luke 10, through 37. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. So we see this Samaritan and this Israelite. And here Jesus is talking to uh, Jewish people. And he, and he says this despised Samaritan. So like this Samaritan, this person that because of his race, you despise him. He comes along and when he sees the man, feels compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. What Jesus was saying is that, hey, Whoever your neighbor is, is whoever I've created. And, and this Samaritan crosses cultural boundaries, crosses that divide of racism into being a true neighbor. Uh, racial reconciliation was extremely close to the heart of Jesus. And I believe as the church that we need to do the same. Um, so if, if racial reconciliation is a big deal to us, that means that we desire diversity. That means that, that we are of different cultures, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, but of one heart. We are unified. 
So if, if reconciliation is important, we need to look at some different things that, that are required of us if we truly are going to be the church that desires racial reconciliation. The very first thing that is required is humility. This is in your notes. Reconciliation requires humility. With a message like this, the Holy Spirit might stir some things up in you, might, might bring some things to the surface, and, and the temptation is for uh, pride to stomp that out and to say, no, 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 not you. Don't, don't worry about that. And it's very easy to get prideful and to think, hey, I'm, I'm not a part of this solution. I'm not a part of the problem. Um, what we need to see is that racial reconciliation is not a political issue. It's a biblical issue. A lot of times we reserve uh, racial reconciliation to be all about politics, but, but the Bible is very clear about racial reconciliation. And if it doesn't start in the church, it's not going to start. Unfortunately, the church has almost been on the, on the backside of some of these things when it comes to racial reconciliation, but we need to be the, one, the pioneers, the ones that are, that are in the front of the charge of racial reconciliation. The temptation for this message is for you to go straight to your politics and, and to get defensive and to get frustrated and to get upset. But well, what we need to look at is the heart of God. What does God say about this? Uh, Revelation 7, 9. This is where, where John was given a, a vision of what heaven is going to look like. And, and check this out. It says, After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. So think of this beautiful sight of, of heaven where you have every single kind of, of person, every country represented, every language represented, every ethnicity represented, all coming together for one purpose, and that's to praise the name of Jesus. And just like Greg said, we have a desire for the church to be on earth as it is in heaven. So I believe that we need to desire diversity, to be intentional about diversity and racial reconciliation. So, so what do we need to do? We need to, one of the things is we need to recognize our prejudices. Recognize our prejudices. A prejudice is prejudging. It's a preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. All of us have prejudices. It might be about race or age or, or gender or different things where we look at somebody and we prejudge, we put them into a box simply because of their appearance or what we see instead of truly getting to know that person and then seeing what they really are about. Um, there was a study about racial bias in the job market and uh, some, some researchers responded to help wanted ads um, in, in the paper with, with fake resumes. And what they did is they, they plugged in names uh, like Lakeisha Washington, Jamal Jones, and then um, other ones like Emily Walsh and Greg Baker. And they randomly assigned these resumes, and it said that the resumes with white-sounding names spurred 50% more callbacks. So it's the same, you know, they, they randomly put them on these resumes and sent them out. But when, when an employer looks and sees, oh, this is Greg Baker, I'm going to give them a, a call and see if they can work for me. That is a, a, a sign of prejudice, 
or you prejudge. You look, they didn't even see the person. They just saw the name and decided, I don't want this person working for me. And I think all of us, to different degrees, have prejudices. Things that, that just because of the way we are raised or the world that we're in, where we box people in or we prejudge people because of how they look. But that's not God's wisdom. That's man's wisdom. 1 Samuel 16, this is where Samuel is anointing David and, and all of David's brothers are, are stronger and taller and better looking and, and when in man's eyes, we would think more qualified to be anointed by Samuel. But it says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, this is human nature, where, where it's like, hey, the way that I see things is to judge somebody by the way that they look. That's human wisdom. And because of the history of that human wisdom, it, it creates to where uh, we think that somebody's outward appearance determines their value. And when history is built on this, what happens is it provides different opportunities. It makes paths easier for some people than it is for others. I'll be honest, my path as a white man has been much easier than some because I, there's a lot of things that I have not had to worry about. And I think sometimes when we actually just say that, it, it goes a long way. And in no way, because there's two paths you can take that, that that are incorrect. One is guilt and shame and to say I'm ashamed of 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 my color of skin, in no way are we ever supposed to be ashamed of who God made you to be. But then also there's the path of defensiveness and apathy to say, oh, I, you know, kind of like the, the, I worked hard for what I did. I'm never going to apologize for, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, no, we're not, tell, we're not asking you to apologize at all or, or to get defensive or, or to, to say, we're not saying that you haven't worked hard. It's just to simply say that human wisdom, when things are built upon that, it creates to where some things, some paths are much easier. There's hurdles for some people because people look at, that have that prejudging, that, that prejudice. And so um, God's wisdom, though, says that every person, regardless of what they look like, their background, their ethnicity, every person has infinite value. Christ died for every person, and not just that, but in every person's heart, God has put a desire in them to make a difference. And he's given them passion. He's given them gifts. He's given them abilities and strengths. And so why would we not say, let's try our absolute best to even the playing field to where we can look and we can see the content of a person's heart instead of simply looking at somebody and deciding whether or not they can make a difference. Why wouldn't we want to try to even the playing field? Why would we not try to remove as many barriers as we can? Because here's the thing. The church needs every person's strengths, every person's passions, every person's abilities. And so let's not be, be the kind where we just get defensive or, or, or frustrated. Let's, let's actually take some action. Let's be a part of the solution. Because the church needs diversity. We need it. Because every person has a desire and a, and a passion in their heart to make a difference. So what we do is, is we celebrate our differences. We celebrate our differences. 
You know, sometimes, I don't know if you've experienced this, but, but where you, you get nervous, like unnecessarily so, just to say somebody's like ethnicity. You know, sometimes it'll be like the, the uh, you know, the turn and, and whisper where it's like, yeah, yeah, they're, um, they're, they're Asian. Uh, and you think you're like scared that somebody's going to call you a racist because you've said this person's ethnicity. It's not racist to acknowledge somebody has a different color of skin. It is racist when you treat them differently because of it. And so we celebrate differences. We celebrate when when people look different than us, when they act different than us. We celebrate that. You know, sometimes people say, well, I'm colorblind. I don't see skin color. It's like, really? You your eyes don't let you perceive when somebody's a different color. But, but here's the thing that, that's wrong with that thinking of like, oh, I'm colorblind. It, it's, it's because it, it, it slightly says that to see a difference in color of skin would mean that I have to treat you differently. So I'm not going to see the difference in color of skin. But because of Jesus, I can see the difference in your color of skin and celebrate that and be excited about it and be excited about our differences because we can be different but of one, just like it says, that unity. It's, it, it's just like in 1 Corinthians 12, 18 and 19, it says this, but our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. Different parts, but one body. But in our pride, what we do is if we're a hand, we think everybody else should be a hand. And we try to fit everybody else to our likeness. It's like with the movie Black Panther. The, apparently Marvel wanted the Wakandans to have a British accent. And um, Chadwick Boseman said that he really fought to have the, the accent native to, um, to Africa because the Wakandans were West African. And it just made sense. But I think naturally sometimes it's like, oh, no, let's give them British accents. Let's make them more like us. And, and, and it reminded me of with Jesus. You know, every Jesus movie you watch, who is Jesus? He's a, he's a white dude with some long brown hair and these piercing blue eyes and a British accent. It's like this dude was born in the Middle East. Like, what are the chances that that would happen? But I think just because of human wisdom and our human nature, we mold Jesus himself to look like us. We want him to be like our likeness, like our image. You know, and how this kind of uh, surfaces itself is it's like, well, I can hang with people of different ethnicities, but they need to act like me, talk like me, vote like me. It's like, no, God wants differences in the church and because we're unified on one thing, that Jesus is our Savior, and that his love is the greatest thing of all time, we can be different, yet one. So we can have those differences and come together as one. Um, so uh, we know that, that uh, you know, when it comes to racial reconciliation, it requires humility. The second thing that it requires is intentionality. Intentionality. In our lives, we naturally drift. We naturally drift. I remember one time, me and some buddies were going down to uh, Miami for spring break. And uh, I, for whatever reason, I decided, you know what, guys? I want to drive this whole thing. I want to drive. I mean, it's like 15 hours. I was like, I've, I've got this. I don't know what I was trying to prove to myself. But I just, I told them, guys, 
I, I've, I have to do this. So we're driving, and I do really good past like Jacksonville. I'm like, I am killing this right now. I'm gonna get all the way to Miami. And past Jacksonville, I'm not even sure what's, what's there, but like around that hour 12, uh, I like hit a wall. And I was like so determined to continue driving. I didn't have the humility to say, hey guys, I'm, I'm starting to doze a little bit. And uh, I started hitting some rumble strips, like bad, because it would be like, and then like get back. And then finally a friend was like, Brody, pull the car over, stop. Like you, we need to get somebody else driving. And we did, and we got there safely. So, uh, but it made me think about how when I was asleep, my natural state was not to keep me on the road, to keep me on the straight and narrow, to keep me. My natural state when I was sleeping was to drift. And I think that when we don't pay attention, when we're not intentional, we naturally drift. We naturally drift. And the thing is, with our human nature, we naturally drift toward homogenous units, which what that means is who is like me? I'm going to drift towards whoever is like me. So if you look like me, talk like me, think like me, then we're all going to merge together when we drift. And, and I understand that that might be our natural state, but just because something is our natural state does not mean that it's what Christ wants. If you ask a man, their natural state is not monogamy. You know what I mean? Like a natural state, like if we let ourselves drift, our minds will go to places that they shouldn't be, you know? And so just because something is natural and easy and comfortable in no way means that it's the correct thing to do. It's, it's comfortable and easy to sit on my couch all day. That's easy. It's comfortable. Does that mean it's the right thing for me to do? No. There are times where you have to intentionally say, nope, I'm going for a walk. Nope, I'm doing something productive. Just because something is easy and natural does not mean it's what Christ wants. You know, kind of, this isn't in your, in your notes, but after I turned in my notes, I'm like, man, I wish I would have had this in there. But this is about Peter. And um, in, in Acts 10, God shows him this vision. Basically, what the vision is, is saying is, hey, not only are the, the foods that you thought were unclean, not only have I made those clean, so like, hey, you can eat bacon, praise God, but also the, the people, the Gentiles that you thought were unclean, guess what? My gospel and my death on the cross was for them too. And so there's some reconciliation that needs to happen. And so there's this guy, Cornelius, that God gives him this vision, and this guy Cornelius, who is a Gentile, so Peter originally would have thought that he was unclean, somebody that he shouldn't be hanging out with. Because of that vision, Cornelius shows up and, and basically has his family members, and, and this is where we pick up. It says, as Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshiped him, but Peter pulled him up. This is so cool. Check this out. Peter pulled him up and said, stand up. I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Peter told them, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you have sent me. 
And then it goes on later, and, and, and Peter is preaching and, and speaking to them, and it says, Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And he shares the gospel, and it says the Holy Spirit falls on these Gentiles, and he starts speaking in tongues. And Peter realizes, man, even though that they look different than me, that they have a different background, we have the same God. We can be together. We can hang out. We can see reconciliation. And even in Acts 11, people, he goes back home, and people are like, what, you did what? You hung out with who? The Gentiles? And Peter's like, yes. God showed me this vision, and it was amazing, and we can be together. We can be one. So you look at that story, you're like, hoorah, Peter, you are the man standing for racial reconciliation. But like I said, we naturally drift towards homogenous units. And in Galatians 2, this is Paul speaking, and he says this, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. Like, he, he embraced the Gentile. He hung out with them. He embraced them. He says, but afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. So we see Peter, God had given him this vision and he realized, man, I am supposed to embrace every race because Jesus died for all and we can all agree on that. But what happens is he naturally drifts. All of a sudden his buddy James comes with some of his friends and they start to poison the water and say, oh, no, I don't think you're right about that. And he gets kind of nervous and says, ah, you know what, I'm going to stop hanging out with Gentiles. And if we're not intentional, if we're not careful, this is what will happen. We will naturally drift to people that look like us, think like us, are in the same economic class as us, of the same age as us, the same gender as us. Every single thing that is like us, we will just naturally gravitate towards that. And the body of Christ will become so ineffective. But if we intentionally say, you know what, I need to develop some intentional relationships. And this is why small groups is so important because it's saying, you know what, I'm going to intentionally place myself in a group that has all different kinds of people in it. But it, you have to be intentional with it. We will all drift back to just being with people that are like us. But we have to pray to God, God, please help me not just go to what's comfortable, but to go to what shows your heart. And we have to intentionally act. So, so we have to act with intentionality. Another thing is we have to seek to understand. We have to seek to understand. Man, I don't know if you've been on Facebook lately, but I don't think there's a whole lot of seeking to understand people. I think it's, this is my opinion, and I'm going to spew this out there, and, and if you disagree with me, then forget you. <laughs> and it's just like, whoa, okay. Uh, and it's just like people are, are, they just want their point of view 
to reign. They want to be right. And, and, and in, in the communication of it, very little of it says, I care about you. Very little of it says that. I think we have to be very careful with how we respond to things. Because you might not agree with somebody. We're not called to agree on everything. But we are called to show gentleness and respect when we speak the truth in love. So keep that in mind because you might completely create a divide by the way that you respond to somebody. This is what James 1 says. It says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. If we're going to have true racial reconciliation, this is going to require some room for conversations. So that means that sometimes instead of you giving your point of view, you go to somebody and you ask them, hey, how does this make you feel? Tell me, tell me what you think whenever you hear about this. Tell me, tell me what, what your thoughts are. And you seek that understanding to say, I desire to understand what you're going through. It's called apathy. It's where, it, or not apathy, it's called empathy. The, uh, the opposite is apathy. So empathy is to say, I desire, I will never be able to walk in your shoes, but I desire to, to somewhat understand what you're going through. I'm going to try to understand what you're going through. Apathy is the opposite. It's to say, I don't care. I don't care what you're going through. I, I, don't, I don't desire to, to know what you're going through. Let's be a church of empathy. But what happens is you have to have conversations with people. You have to be in a proximity where you can hear somebody's heart instead of just assuming what they think. The, um, I remember in sixth grade, my teacher uh, said the word, was talking about Cajun, like the word Cajun. And I rose my hand and I was like, is this, and I, I promise you guys, I wasn't joking. I was like, is this where we get the word Caucasian? And I didn't know what Caucasian meant. I didn't know my own race. Uh, and so all these kids start laughing and my teacher looked at me, she's like, you're kidding, right? And I was like, yes, I am. <laughs> I didn't admit that I didn't know what it was because everybody was laughing. And, um, and she assumed that I was just being an idiot. And to her defense, there, has, there was a long history that would lead her to believe that. <laughs> but she assumed that I was just being, being an idiot. And what happened is it, it kept me from understanding or asking more questions because she just assumed, oh, he's just, he's kidding. He's being, he's being stupid. But I believe we live in a day and age where we are so quick to label people. So if somebody disagrees, it's like, oh, you're a bigot, you're a racist, you're a sexist, you're, you know, whatever it is. And we, there's such a hostile environment that doesn't create any understanding because when there's disagreement with us, our natural reaction is to, boom, I'm going to label you as this name instead of actually having a conversation and having a dialogue. And I think people get, get so, uh, they, they have a fear that has caused a lack of conversation, a lack of understanding, a lack of asking questions. I think we need to be gracious in our conversations. And if somebody does not, uh, you know, maybe somebody says something that is really ignorant, let's have a gracious conversation with them and say, hey, when, when you say that, 
or you act that way, I know that it might seem different to you, but for me, because of my background, this is what I hear. This is what I see. And I think when we have those gracious conversations, what happens is it forms these friendships where, and at first it's going to be a little awkward, it's going to be a little difficult, it's going to be hard. But when we seek these, these, these relationships, what happens is you start to develop friendships you thought you would never have. It's like I went to a, a private school up until ninth grade, and it was a Christian school. And a lot of what they kind of stated was, hey, the non-believer is the enemy. If somebody believes something else. But then I started going to a public school, and I started realizing, wait, that Muslim guy is my friend. That, that person over there that does not, it does not have my same background, I'm, you actually start to realize, man, I can be friends with these people and it can start conversations that are extremely healthy. And I think it's the same thing with racial reconciliation. When you intentionally seek out these friendships, what the media is going to say is there, has to, there needs to be a divide. What Satan's going to say is there needs to be a divide. You cannot, you can't be friends because you're different. You vote differently. You, you think differently. You act differently. You have different backgrounds. But what the Bible says is despite all differences, we can be unified as one. And that brings me to um, my last point, is that reconciliation requires unity. Requires unity. You know, um, I think a lot of times it's easy to... Um, to lack empathy, to lack Christ's heart when it comes to what people are going through. Uh, I remember I talked to a guy one time. They were moving from somewhere else, and they were moving in the area. And he was talking about where he was, the neighborhood they were going to move into. And he said something. He said, I, uh, he was like, I just want to make sure that when my daughter goes to school that she's not the minority. I remember being like, wow, that is one of the most... Uh, it just lacked so much empathy to say, yeah, I don't want her to walk in the same shoes that somebody else would have to. And, and the frustrating thing about me, though, is that I didn't say anything. I should have spoken up and said, that's, that's wrong. You, that's, that's, that's to say that, that, that we are better than other people. But I didn't say anything. And I believe that, that when it comes to reconciliation, that we need to not just take offense. Like, I took offense to that. I was like, that's wrong. But actually take action. Be, be the kind of church that doesn't just spot the divide, but says, hey, let's be the hands that embrace, that shows this world that we can have friendships, that we can have relationships that are going to bring reconciliation. We need to be that unity that needs to happen in the church. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. So what we need to ask is, will this contribute to the unity of the church or the division of the church? Colossians 3 says this, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, so it doesn't matter your race. Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. 
Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must close your, clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves in with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. What has to happen is we have to have the love of Christ be the binding agent for everybody. Because if we go by our human nature, our human wisdom, what Satan tells us is to say, you know what, we need to be separate. But what the love of Christ says is now we can all come together and be bound together in perfect harmony. You know, this talk of forgiveness and love, it, um, it reminds me of the, the shooting that had happened in Charleston. This was a few years back, and it was a self-proclaiming white, white supremacist who went into a historically black church in Charleston, South Carolina, and he sat in a prayer service, and they, they prayed with him for like, he was with them for 45 minutes. They welcomed him with open arms, and he opened fire and killed nine people. And he, he outright stated, he told FBI agents, I did this because I want to, I, I believe in segregation. I want to start a race war dude is a, a outright racist and killed people simply because of the color of their skin. He told one of the survivors he kept her alive so she could tell everyone he killed, uh, that he killed them because he hated black people. I mean, I cannot imagine what these family members were going through when it comes to, when it comes to this, this sort of hatred, this sort of racism, this sort of like legitimately one of the most evil things we can see in the world. But it was amazing when it came to his hearing because all these family members started giving this message of forgiveness. Nadine Collier, the daughter of, of a 70-year-old Ethel who, um, who, was, who was killed, said at this hearing, and, and it said in the Washington Post, her voice breaking with emotion, I forgive you. You took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never ever hold her again, but I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. Another who was a sister of one of the, the people killed said, I acknowledge that I am very angry, but one thing that Depayne, who was her sister, always enjoined in uh, our family is she taught me that we are the family that love built. We have no room for hating, so we have to forgive. I pray God on your soul. A lot of people said that this forgiveness, this love that just makes zero sense outside of the gospel is what brought the community together. And this community of every race came together and there was this unity that formed. And here's the amazing thing is that because of their forgiveness, it did not allow his evil actions to do the thing that he desired. The thing that Satan was trying to accomplish, the division, the segregation, it did the opposite where they all came together. They all loved each other because of this forgiveness and this love that they showed. This is what Colossians 3 is talking about. When we as a church embrace this love and this forgiveness that makes no sense outside of the gospel, what happens is, is this unity happens. This reconciliation happens. 
And all of a sudden, the world starts to take notice of, wow, that's what it looks like. It said this, tweeting about the incredible scene, National Review writer Charles C.W. Cook noted, I am a non-Christian, and I must say, this is a remarkable advertisement for Christianity. When we love, when we decide, you know what, we are going to come together as one bound together by the love of Jesus. When we intentionally do that, it says to the world, hey, this is what true love is. I don't love you because you're like me. I love you because God made you and I see your value. Satan wants to divide us. God wants to unify us and it is his love that binds us together. So let's be that church that's intentional, that seeks out those relationships, that sees, man, what are the prejudices that I have? What are the things that are causing divisions in my heart? And let's give those to God. Let's see his love bind us together. Some of you in here, you, you don't, What's difficult is, is when I talk about this love of Jesus that binds us together, you have not experienced that in your own life. What has to happen in your own life is you have to experience the kind of love that God wants you to share with others. And, and, and talking about divisions, our sin created, created a divide between us and God. And what God did is he came down as Jesus And he died for you, died for your sins so that he could erase that divide and bring you together with him. If that's you, I'm going to give you a chance to to just pray to God and just say, you know what, God, I want to receive that salvation. I don't know your love. I, I might believe in you. I might have been in church my whole life, but I've never received and accepted that relationship. If that's you, I'm, I'm going to give you an opportunity in a few minutes just to, just to pray. For others of you, I'm going to pray that God would give us a spirit of unity. That he'd give us intentionality. He'd give us humility. He'd give us unity so that we can be the church that says, you know what? We desire diversity. We want to see, we want to see it on earth as it is in heaven. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We're so grateful that you created the body to be so many different parts and that we can celebrate our differences. Jesus, right now I pray, Lord, for healing and reconciliation. God, I pray for for unity. God, I pray, I pray that, that you would bring us together, Lord, that we would be intentional. God, I pray that we would be humble. Lord, I pray that we, we wouldn't let our pride get in the way of doing what you've called us to do. God, I, I pray that every person here, Lord, that we would all seek to be the body of Christ that, that, that truly embraces differences, that 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 loves every person and sees value in everybody. If you're in here today and you're one of those people that, that 
you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never received his love, you've never, you've tried to work yourself into a relationship with him and you desire to have that relationship, I'll let you know that you can do that right now. And if that's you, I just want you to pray this with me. Just say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I've done wrong. I've messed up. But God, I want to receive the life that you have for me. I know I can't be good enough to get to you, but God, I want to receive the love that you have for me. I'm living for you now. Thank you for everything you've done for me. In your name I pray, amen.